Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our recently launched Substack, the Planet Microcap Newsletter, for free at microcapnewsletter.substack.com. I'll be sharing all recent podcast episodes from Planet Microcap and Due Diligence. Plus, every Sunday, I put out our weekly Microcap Wrap to show how the Microcap space has performed every week and compared to the broader markets based on data from the Microcap Review Index. Again, to subscribe, go to microcapnewsletter.substack.com. Quite a bit of content that we actually have uh, put out there from Planet Microcap. Um, we just published the Q2 2022 issue of the Microcap Review, which you will also be able to get access to on Microcap. Uh, newsletter.substack.com, as well as at microcapreview.com, and also the direct link through Scribd, as well as uh, we're going to be reconstituting the uh, the uh, uh, index um, uh, very, very shortly as well for Q3 2022. So be sure to subscribe to that Substack. That's where you're going to get all the updates on everything. So again, that's microcapnewsletter.substack.com. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Sharon Wang. She's the senior investment analyst at Pender Fund. We originally met when Sharon moderated a panel titled Microcap Technology Growth Companies at our virtual event in December 2021, which I highly recommend checking out that panel. And I wanted to get to know Sharon and her investing philosophy a bit better. Assuming that you've been following the news or better yet, seeing the performance from the microcap review index, the broader markets have been taking a bit of a shellacking with microcaps taking the brunt of this beatdown. Uh, with all this in mind, the best investors see market drawdowns as a chance to find and or add to quality positions. That's what Sharon and I discussed today, what she looks for and her small and microcap criteria during market drawdowns. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 232 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Sharon Wang. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. 
Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back, everyone, to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me right now is someone who actually hosted an amazing panel at our most recent virtual event back in December. I highly recommend going to check that out. And uh, I, I wanted to have her on for, for a one-on-one interview because I want to understand a little bit more about her background and, and uh, her investing style and all, all that good stuff. So... With that, I'd like to introduce Sharon Wang. She is the Senior Investment Analyst at Pender Fund. Sharon, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me here. It's great to have you on. Um, you know, during that panel, we didn't get a chance to, to get into your background or anything like that. So can you, can you start us off with where your passion for investing began and, and how you got to where you're at today? Sure. Um, I wish I could tell you an um, inspiring story of how I started buying my first stock when I was 12. The reality is no. <laughs> I didn't know what stock was at age of 12. Um, I was born and raised in China. No idea of where, like, what um, a stock exchange looks like. No idea of Wall Street or Main Street. Um, you know, at that time, um, the concept of investing was still very foreign. Um, not like today, you know, because um, before COVID, I went to um, the uh, AGM of Borussia. Uh, Bookshare Hathaway, and um, I saw like a couple of uh, young kids from China asking questions uh, to Warren and Charlie in full English, and I was like, wow, they know what they want to do in the future. Um, but at my time, I didn't know. <laughs> um, so my only goal at the time when I was a teenager was um, I have to study hard and get into one of the top university, uh, universities in China so I could have a bright uh, future. So I did that and I got really high um, marks um, at the national entrance exam um, and um, I got into one of the top universities. And I still don't know what I wanted to do. So after I graduated from university, I um, uh, tried a couple of different things um, like journalism um, and then figured out it, that was not really my thing. And um, and then uh, I decided to give uh, finance a try because one of my friends, uh, she really loved it and, and she always talking about it. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try it. And that actually opened the door and I did find my path there and uh, I started to love it. Um, so I got into the Master of Science uh, program uh, in finance um, and um, I just loved it. I wanted to uh, know more about it and um, um, set my heart on, on, on the investment career. So I guess part of the thing is my um, personality because I'm naturally a very curious person. And this whole idea of investing, you know, um, looking at different companies, talking to different people, managing a team and know what they do and why they do what they do and what works and what does not work. Um, this whole, you know, um, reading, digging, researching really excite me and make me feel good. So that's how I actually uh, landed in this investment land. And I guess the whole point is 
um, you know, you don't really necessarily need to figure out what you want to do at a very early stage, maybe not at 12, not at 20, maybe. But uh, once you figure it out, it's never too late to pursue your passion. Sure. You, you give yourself a little credit. Okay. That was a very inspiring story and, and, and how you got to where you are. Okay. That, that was, that was fantastic. And, you know, I just, uh, I, I can only hope that everyone, you know, is doing something that uh, they're as passionate about as you are. Right. Um, and so, you know, as I said in the intro, you're, 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 you're now at Pender Fund. You joined the team, I think in 2013. So how did that, how, how did this all come about? Yeah, it's actually a very long story. Um, so David Barr, um, the CEO and portfolio manager um, at Panda and also my partner, he gave my first job in investment <laughs> when I first moved to Vancouver uh, in twenty in 2007. Um, at the time, I was fresh out of school, no experience. Um, I didn't know anybody, no connection. And LinkedIn and those, you know, platform didn't virtually not really very common, right? So what I did is I Googled um, asset managers in Vancouver and um, uh, found a few names and I sent resumes to them. And to make my cover letter look more interesting, I actually borrowed uh, one of the uh, uh, statements from a, a local commercial saying, bold makes it happen. I guess they really like that. So I got an interview and uh, we uh, we liked each other. And uh, at the time, um, Panther Fund was not a, a mutual fund business. So Dave actually started the mutual fund business back in 2009. That was 2007. Uh, he was managing a uh, venture uh, capital fund at the time. And um, it, it was like pretty small, like a tiny, and they only had a, a temporary <laughs> analyst position. But I was happy to, you know, get into the door and and learn. And Dave was a uh, Dave has been a wonderful mentor uh, for me. So I, I went there for a few months before the uh, the term expired. And they didn't have a full time position because the fund itself was trying to figure out where it's going to be, right? So um, I found another job at a local um, sell side brokerage firm as a research associate. So um, I worked there for five years. And um, so Dave, at the same time, I kept in touch with, with Dave and he he started his um, the beauty fund business in 2009. And in 2013, the fund started to scale and he really need an analyst because he doesn't have an analyst just himself. So um, he reached out to me and um, I was thrilled to uh, to have this opportunity because I feel I'm you know, it's time for me to have a change. And um, on the buy side, you probably are going to get exposures to a, a broader um, sectors and, and companies, not as sales side, you only focus on one sector most, most of the time. So I feel like that's a great opportunity and I really love to work with Dave again. So that's when I joined. And um, nine years later, I'm still here and, and um, I'm looking forward to many more years to come. Absolutely. Dave is the best. Uh, you know, we've had him on the pod and he also moderated a panel at our recent sh uh, show too. Yeah. And uh, so Dave, Dave's great. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, you guys found each other in, in this <laughs> and able to, to, to grow Pender Fund to what it is today. Right. Um, so catch us up now. So you joined 2013, you know, it's now 2022, you know, what specifically, what, what aspect of the fund are you working on? I, I believe you're on the small, small cap micro cap yeah. side, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm correct. I'm, um, so, so our, so Panda Fund actually is, a uh, uh, we manage multiple 
asset classes. We have public equity, uh, fixed income uh, alternatives, and, and also private equity. So I am uh, mostly working on the um, uh, public equity side and helping Dave managing uh, the small cap university, uh, small cap opportunities fund, um, which has been, you know, existing since 2009 and um, uh, had a, you know, a pretty good track record. So, um, and 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 now we do keep that keep going. Um, so, but but we we are a very collaborative uh, organization, and there's a lot of um, um, uh, you know um, discussions between teams, and so we can you know um, share each other investment ideas and, and helping actually companies to grow from private companies uh, to public and and all that. So it's a it's a very um, wholesome and comprehensive. Uh, picture over there. I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. Well, talk to me a little bit, you know, um, on, on, you know, small cap opportunity side here. I mean, you know, we're doing this interview on, uh, what's today, Tuesday, June 14th. Um, you know, literally the news just came out yesterday that we are now officially in a recession. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of one of those times when a lot of micro cap and small cap investors where we're kind of licking our chops saying, all right, let's time to dig in and find some stuff. Because on the news side, I mean, we're seeing, you know, there's a lot of companies reporting quality earnings, you know, on this micro cap, small cap side. And it's just literally falling on deaf ears, right? Like it, nobody cares, um, which is, in my opinion, potentially an opportunity for for you know folks to kind of dig a little deeper. So, I mean, what what are you seeing on your end? Yeah, exactly. Actually, um, you know, we uh, um, we're quite excited about um, uh, today's market because, as you just mentioned, you see the uh, the fundamental of business are still growing and progressing, but um, the uh, the um, the market doesn't really give any credit, and they even discount growth, especially non-profitable, like um, um, not profitable growth, um, to like negative value almost. I, I've been seeing companies trading like with uh, consistent growth, like forty percent, and trading like at less than one point five times EV revenue, which is basically, and um, from my experience, I've never seen that level. Um, but I think this is, um, you know, so that actually provides us a lot of opportunities and get us excited because we understand how small cap works. And um, if you look at history, I'm not saying history repeats itself, but it, it does rhyme, right? So if you look at history, um, small cap actually tend to outperform whenever like leading out of the, the recession. Like if you look at the 12 months or 24 months performance after a market drawdown, um, small cap has pretty good um, performance and the reason I guess one of the reasons could be because small cap is quite um, companies are very adaptive and uh, they they actually manage crisis sometimes better than large um, their large peers and especially in this in today's environment because of the all the all the hype of inflation right all the unexpected inflationary environment um, 
so in this type of environment, a, a company, it, like what do company do to survive, right? So they need to be really adaptable on their cost structure and they need they really need to have the pricing power and competitive modes so that they could keep the girl like the revenue growing. So on the top line, you have you need to keep your growth. On the on the bottom line, you have to be able to control your cost. And for established companies, sometimes it's really hard to to do. It's really hard to turn a big ship around. So, uh, so I I feel like a lot of software, especially in the software space, right? Because your your costs are um, are um, most variable costs, not really fixed cost. So you could probably adjust that quickly. Um, and and small cap uh, has the um, the natural advantage of doing that. Um, and 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 small cap um, tends to trade like in the Historically, on average, it should be at a premium to large cap because of risk levels, right? So, so now they're actually um, got actually trading at a, a pretty big valuation gap um, below the large caps. So, so if you think about the mean to reversion, the multiple re-rating plus the growth of the underlying business, that's a quite a dramatic uh, growth trajectory um, there. And um, so, I, I think for companies that have like can adapt them and the management team um, like with an adaptable and capable management team that can steer through this crisis with a healthy balance sheet for sure. And because the cost of capital definitely goes up if you don't have a healthy balance sheet, probably you're like, you probably deteriorate pretty fast. Um, and um, I think those type of business actually are going to weather through the stock market and um, generate pretty good return for us. And that's where actually we 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 look for. Absolutely. I mean, I would assume it during this time also you're speaking with management teams quite often, just because there's there's all yeah you could see on you know through all the statements and press releases you know what they might be doing to manage some of the costs and kind of steer through what's going mm -hmm. on right now. But now is where management is by far most important. Because when you're seeing some of these macro pressures, recession pressures, inflation, you know, that's yeah. where you want to understand from them, okay, what is your plan? So, I mean, have you just been talking with management nonstop just to kind of see how they're doing it? What are some of the things that they're telling you? So we do, we do see, uh, we do talk to management constant, like uh, um, quite regularly and um, uh, not, not just because of this downturn and that's our, um, you know, part of our uh, investment process. And um, um, some of them are very transparent. I actually really like the transparency of some of them, right? Because they, they're not just telling me uh, as a shareholder what they're going to do, but they're actually um, talking about their plans on the conference calls. So every shareholders or everybody who's interested in their company can know what, what their plan is, right? So for example, um, you know, one of the software company, local Vancouver software companies we have in, in, in the portfolio, they actually um, announced um, a layoff of 20% uh, of their employees um, in Q1 because they feel like their cost structure are not uh, really the, the optimized. But the way they did it is very inspiring, I, I feel, because they are very transparent about it. They told everybody about it. And then they actually listed all the names of the um, um, the, the laid off employees on their website and trying to help them to, to land the next job. So this type of transparency and support of the company does demonstrate the culture they have. So um, I, I think culture is very important in small cap companies because you're so small and, and you know, especially the culture from the top people from the management does have a lot of influence 
um, on, on everybody in, in within that company. So that's one of the examples. And the other examples is just this morning, we had a company reported and um, they showed a little bit of girls slow down, but they were very clear of their steps, like what they're going to do to address this, right? They're going to actually move one of their sales, like top um, managers to one of the regions where they see the slowing growth to accelerate the growth there and um and at the same time they are, are trying to optimize cost structures and put uh, price increases in one of their like in, for, for their hardware and their services because they have never raised the prices uh, while their competitors have raised prices um, in the last couple of years already so they they laid out the plans and that that gave investors a bit more confidence right because at least they know what they want to do so in your opinion, you know, as we were kind of, we're looking at this, you know, seeing the macro outlook, but even before this, you know, we, we all saw, you know, our, our index, you know, that that's kind of the main data point that I look at, you know, we're, it's down over 15% year to date. Um, so we've been seeing that micro caps, small caps have been getting hit, you know, and this, this was all coming, but for you, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things already, but when, when you're looking at some of the companies in the portfolio or just even potentially new names, what are some of the things that you're kind of hoping to see from, from these managed teams, from these companies uh, that, that make it either interesting to them put more money in or even some red flags you're like you know what maybe we'll exit this position for now and redeploy this capital to something else yeah actually uh last year in canada that, there was a boom of ipos right and and um tech ipos i mean in, in the tech sector we never seen that so many tech ipos in one year actually i think there's some reports saying the um the total number of tech ipos in last year uh is more than the total number of ipos in the last nine to 12 years in Canada. That was crazy, right? So we, uh, we as a, a, a good, like, you know, people know us in the, in the small tech, small cap tech space in Canada. So typically we would be invited into their, um, uh, you know, their, their uh, pre, pre roadshow meetings, uh, test water meetings, and then their, their uh, IPO roadshow meetings and, and, and then invite us to be, to be investors. But, at the time, when we look at the business and uh, the valuation, and some of the companies we, we really like their business, but we don't like the valuation, so we didn't we didn't actually jump right in. But then things suddenly changed. Everything is uh, is like is it's bad. It's like no people don't give any credit to growth. So all these IPOs had um, you know they, their price dropped. Some some of them dropped like 90 percent. So when we when we look at these companies and we're trying to see, okay, like does anything fundamentally change? Have their economic like unit economics changed, like their cost of customer acquisitions changed? Or or like is there still technology still help the world doing things better and cheaper? Like is this something that really can work in the long time or or only like transitory, only 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 during COVID? Um so so we, we we try to assess like a lot of assessments are um, quite qualitative and, and, and not really quantitative, not really from numbers. Um, and, and then we talk with investors, we talk with a management team, we talk with their customers and we try to you know, get all the information we can. And, and then we realize, you know, we come to a conclusion that some of these businesses are still great business and they have a lot of cash on the balance sheet that could actually, um, you know, help them through this time period or even you know they can even grow because they have this dry powder on the balance sheet they can go on and acquire somebody right so but 
a lot of we, we, we you know a lot of them are still growing very nicely organically and but they, they do have the dry powder there and you can see a path to profitability um in a few years so it's not like you don't see a path to profitability at, at all it's you, you you could actually see a visible path you can see how things can improve and 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 scale up and then you can reach a point of break even cash flow break even so for those type of companies and, and, and of, of course the management team right we like i said i really like the management that are capable adaptable and transparent you know so they like when we talk with them we get an idea of what they do and um you know we that that gave us confidence we actually um, bought a few like a number of IPO names um, from last year just because you know we, we still think they have a pretty good business and uh, the valuation now is in the range that we can't resist absolutely so you know for to take a, a, a quick step back you know for mm -hmm. for those that don't know Pender fund is based in Vancouver. you you mentioned this earlier but you guys are based in Vancouver and you focus specifically on on Canadian on the tech side or or basically everything non-resource right if i'm if i'm yeah honest, yeah I'm, it's okay. a it's um it's everything we invest basically um non-resource names um but um uh, our you know um focus we, we're generalist but with a uh, focus on tax space that's just because our own background because you know dave started the when he did the venture capital is in the tech space and he personally loves technology and the same with me i uh, when i when i worked at the south side i was a research associate for the tech analyst um you know and then and then we just love the space because um for for myself personally if when i see something that can help um, the world to do things better and 10 times better and cheaper and that's that's you know really attractive like that that lures me into know more about the business so gotcha so I, I you know talking a little bit more about looking at you know kind of the macro and I think it's needless to say that you know uh, Canadian tech IPOs might be just a little down in 2022 especially compared to 2021 um but I, I remember seeing a chart that a colleague of mine uh, uh I think he posted on Twitter or, or, or he might have sent it to me but basically talking about how you know just looking at liquidity right now and there's just it's it's more or less dried up in in some of the and in, in on the TSX venture, I mean, are you seeing some of the some of the same things? And you know, how do you think about what what this might mean when you're looking ahead and looking at potential new ideas or even portfolio companies? I think liquidity is important for us because uh, our fund, you know, um, although we we are long term investors, but uh, it's the actual. Uh, investors that provide us the capital we don't really have the permanent capital and so the the thing we try to do is to really educate our investors that this is you know this is actually a good time to buy not to sell not to redeem right so so that way we could have the at least the liquidity on our side to invest on these on these companies and and i i i think because we are um you know tech investors and and uh, we have a pretty good relationship with these companies and, and we do believe we have the confidence that they can do well so the in, in this kind of liquidity crunch time it's actually good if we actually have the capital to support them you know that actually shows uh you know we we actually have confidence in those type of business we 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 are we are trying to support them so and, and i think holding holding the companies for long term that could generate very attractive returns so Another question I have for you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, a generalist, but kind of more of a tech, tech yeah. bias, yeah. A little tech bias. Um, 
what what are some of the within tech that you've seen that's been interesting in the last you know year and change that that you think in the long term uh, might might have you know a bit more of uh, some runway some moats you know I'd love to hear your answer there. Um, so there, wait, I'm not so good with general um, discussions, <laughs> um, trends and all that, but um, because I am more like a bottom up, um, you know, type of approach. Um, so from what I see is there's, um, I really like the enterprise software space because that's, you know, where you see a lot of innovation and um, and, and the customer base is is stickier and and and, and it's, it's not as finicky as uh, the consumer space, right? The B two C space, the B two B space is very interesting, and you see a lot of slow changing um, sectors that are actually making some changes. For example, one of the portfolio companies we have is called Copper Leaf Technologies. What they do is they actually help um, uh, provide a data driven uh, analytic software for utilities uh, or other asset planning um, decision makers to make the, their decision, investment decisions better. So it's it's you know if you look at those utilities companies, they sometimes do things like a very old-fashioned. They do things on Excel spreadsheets and and but they are dealing with you know billions of dollars, like multi-million of dollars of investment decisions, right? So you don't really want things to go wrong. So actually Copperleaf provide a, a software that gathers data, provide analytics, and, and, and you know give them the tool for them to make better investment decisions. I think that that actually, and, and you see utilities uh, sector actually start to adopt this, and not just utility sector, they actually make into making inroads into like the water sector in, in the UK, uh, those water utilities that, as, as well. And then there, there are other type of sectors that they can go in. So, so you, you kind of see this gradual change. And especially now when you know inflation is high, labor costs, material costs are all very high and you're dealing with supply chain um, issues. So, so you, you actually for, as a decision maker, you probably are going to rely on um, data, on, on software to make your process a little bit better, a little bit more efficient, right? This is actually the time for them to digitize things. So, so we, we, we kind of see the, you know, the, the trend of, of going that way. And the other company uh, we, we invested um, in our portfolio uh, is Kinexus, which is supply chain uh, planning software. I think uh, probably many, many people have heard of them and they are uh, providing like a concurrent um, supply chain planning software, and and they they are quite um, um, uh, unique and advanced in the, in that way compared to the um, incumbent of uh, you know the SAP um, those those type of uh, ERP software. Got it. Yeah. Look, the reason I asked is because I wanted to you know show that you know we weren't just all looking at fintech. Right. Um, oh, when, when, uh, no, no, it's not just fintech. No. <laughs> you know, because it's because I mean, obviously, like that has been, you know, the the kind of been front and center on the technology mm -hmm. side for the last, you know, eight, you know, since I think March 2020. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's not to say there aren't interesting ideas in the fintech space, but, you know, there's other stuff. There's too. a lot of going on in the payment industry. And, and you know, we, we, we had a, a few um, <clears throat> other holdings that uh, in that space. But um, yeah. Gotcha. 
So, I mean, for you, what, what experience would, what investing experience, especially since you've joined Pender Fund in 2013, what, what would you say is an investing experience that really taught you the most and was like, oh, this is small cap. All right. We're, we're in it now. You know, so um, I'd love, love to hear an experience. <laughs> um, I, it, it, it's a very good question and it's a hard one to answer because I actually, um, I don't think I had, had any experience that really changed like my career or anything, but, but I do, I do have things that, you know, um, mistakes and sometimes mistakes that, that make me to raise, like reshape my thinking. Um, and, and I, I actually, you know, the famous, um, investor Charlie Munger always, you know, I really like the quote from him, you know, any year, um, that passes in which you don't destroy one of your best loved ideas is a wasted year. So, uh, that's, that's, you know that's that's very well said and um um so they're they're you know so when i first um you know fresh out of school uh, you know at school you learn a lot of modeling a lot of numbers you know how to interpret financial statements and all that um so so i i screwed a little bit more on, on modeling like i really try to make my forecast um as accurate as it could be but i i know it's you know it's 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 precisely wrong most of the time. And then I then started gradually to realize that the numbers are important um, and understanding financial st statements are important. But what's more important is you actually understand what's the story behind those numbers. Like how do you interpret the numbers? What assumptions, you know, the, for all the assumptions you need to understand it and, and make sense out of it. You need to have your own story of the um, investment. So, so that that makes sense. Um, and so it's, and, and so I would rather be considered a business analyst than a, a financial analyst. So, um, you know, to, to, when, when you look at a, a company, you know, um, it's better to look at it from a, from the business quality perspective, it's more uh, qualitative than, than the quantity, you know, quantitative approach. Um, I think that that changed my, my thinking. Um, so gradually I have my, I build up my own way of evaluating a company. And the other um, mistakes I learned from is, I, I think it's an important lesson for, for myself, is you're trying to um, hold on to compounders a bit longer and trying to sell, um, to say bye to the close of discount um, stories uh, quicker. So. So you probably are not familiar, uh, for people who are not familiar with the terms compounders and, and closed discount, um, I'll just explain it a bit better here because that's that's how we at Pender uh, categorized the type of business, um, you know, the, the two type of different types of business. So the compounders are business that uh, can compound their intrinsic value in the mid teen or, or better. And they can, they have a, a really solid business fundamental of a mode that can last like, um, can last them for for a pretty long time, and and for those type of business, you know, we our our philosophy is to buy low and let grow, so don't touch them. <laughs> and for the close discount um, stories, are typically is a you know it's an okay business, but at really cheap price. And maybe there's some catalyst um, coming to close the discount. You you do see that there's a discount a gap between the discount between the price and the value, and and, and there's a, a apparent catalyst to close that discount. And for those type of business, you know, it's like buy low and sell high. Like you just want to like it's, it's more like a trade type of 
um, opportunity for us. So, so the the when we look at the, the these two different type of businesses um, for compounders, we tend to at least myself be on the conservative side. I tend to underestimate the the bull case scenarios. Sometimes it actually runs through my bull case, and I'm like, oh, it's too expensive. We should sell it. But these good business actually surprise you on the upside. They just keep continue going on and they have, some, especially when they have some, you know, um, free optionalities that where they try different things and, and one thing actually work and that's like big. So that's become the main revenue driver, which you probably would never seen it previously. You never would expect that could happen. And that's just the magic of, of the compounding. So you should probably, uh, for myself, like I think I should hold on to it. Don't be too cheap. Don't like, okay, it's it's it's, it's a hundred, like it's already runs through bouquet scenario and then, then we should sell it. Um, so on the other end of the spectrum, the closer discount stories sometimes also surprise us, but on the on the negative side. So they, they actually the things deteriorate a lot faster than you expect. And but you're like, oh, I how how bad it could be? It's, it's already pretty bad. How worse? <laughs> but but then you realize, okay, there's actually no, um, you know, you don't see um, any catalyst coming. Um, you don't you don't you don't know when this can be like the discount would be closed. You just keep dragging and dragging the revenue decline and all that. So it's you know it's it, it, there's no point of keep holding on to it. Um, the longer you hold on to it, the more opportunity costs are, the, the, the return will be diminish, diminishing as well with time, right? So, um, you know, that's that's something I learned, but I, I, I think I still need to improve on those things because it's, sometimes it's hard to tell when to buy or when to sell. Especially right now, right? I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> that's an incredible lesson to have to bring into what what's going on right now. I mean, in your recent uh, Q1 letter that you just put out, it's, you know, you've mentioned that the opportunities were focused on finding higher quality businesses and kind of letting the, you know, not even necessarily the losers, but just, you know, the lower quality business models yeah. go. And that's a, that's, that still takes so much discipline because, you know, there was a reason that you got into that, that you invest in that business to begin with. You thought, okay, this might be on the higher Happy, quality, yeah. you know, this is my work, you know, so that, that that's incredibly difficult. People maybe sometimes don't, don't uh, maybe take that a little bit for granted. Yeah, it's actually where we're doing right now. We're uh, kind of upgrading the quality of our whole portfolio, um, you know, uh, trying to get rid of the, uh, um, the slow grinding names, but, um, you know, trying to figure out like getting into the more quality names. So that that way we could have a portfolio that, you know, we probably don't really need to touch that often and still grow pretty nicely for our shareholders, for our unit holders. Do you have any do you have any fear of it getting too concentrated during times like these? Um, no, because uh, we we actually uh, uh, still hold um, like a good 50 we, uh, names. And, and um, I was going to say you yeah, guys have a lot yeah, of holdings, but I, yeah. I, 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 I figure I ask. Why not? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it. If I I have to ask, you know, of the lower quality now, I'm not going to ask you to name names, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, but but I mean, what are what are some of the characteristics of quote unquote the yeah, lower you're, quality you're, that you're kind of like, you know, maybe yeah. we'll revisit this in different times. Yeah, sure. I think um, at a time like this, um, the first thing to evaluate is probably the balance balance sheet uh, risks because you don't you really want to avoid catastrophic risk, right? You don't so bankruptcy and and if if this company has two high leverage and they're still bleeding they don't make 
make any cash and they're splitting cash and they don't have a lot of money on the balance sheet. And um, if you see there, they, and they don't have a, a good growth trajectory. So for those type of business, you, you, you do want to get rid of them, um, right? So I guess because we, we're, what we're trying to do is trying to uh, mitigate downside risks for the whole portfolio as well. And um, um, the other, not, 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 not necessarily relates to today's environment, but in general, I think some of the red flags or yellow flags you look for um, a business quality deterioration is, um, you know, you look at the growth, right? If you, if you look at the growth, they're kind of declining and they're still spending a lot though in sales and marketing or in research, then that means either, you know, they, they, their, their product probably people don't really like it, right? So there's no good product market fit. So although they spend a lot of money, you still don't see the growth. And, and the other things, um, other things you, you might want to look is the margin profile, like gross margin. If you see declining gross margin, um, I, I would think that's a bad sign because um, that, that either means, you know, the costs are, are too high. You can't really, you don't have the pricing power to transfer the, the cost to, to, to your consumers or, um, and then, or you're, 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 you're because of com competition and you have to lower your price. So squeeze your margin, right? So that's not a, a good thing um, either way, right? So those, those are um, some of the, the warning signs you want to, you want to, you want to see it. And if you see management suddenly change their tones, right? They, they, they probably used to give a lot of KPIs and suddenly they don't disclose that <laughs> and they don't have anything to replace. So they will say, okay, we don't think these are appropriate things for us to disclose, but they don't give you other KPIs to replace these ones. So that, that means they probably have something bad to hide. But there are subtle, subtle things. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a pretty quality list. So for, I mean, in times like these, I mean, how much more weight do you give to margin um, uh, uh, shrinkage, I guess you say, mar margin shrinkage versus, let's say, you know, quarter over quarter, you know, uh, reven revenue going down, right? Like what, how, how much weight do you give to either one um, in, in times um, I, like these? I think it really uh, depends, um, you know, what, what's the situation is, right? Sometimes the, the revenue growth, if you see the growth coming down or slowing down, it may not be a problem. It may, it may be because I, um, in the last couple, few years, like we see companies going through the SaaS transition. So they have uh, on-premise software where they, they want to transition to, to, um, to SaaS. And then through that transition, you actually see the, the growth coming down because they're trying to transit, right? So, so if, if in, that, in that type of situation, actually the, the growth slowing down is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just happens that way. But then you, you can see like a tick up uh, later on once they, they complete the transition. Actually, that could be a good buying opportunity because the market view those as bad things while they actually have a legit reason for it, right? So, but for margin compression, you know, it's a bit more, um, I think it, for myself, I, I, I took that more seriously and I would, I would really want to dig into why the margin actually declined. And sometimes it's because the, um, uh, the data cost more, right? Because, but then that doesn't, it doesn't really make sense because when, when you have bigger scale, you're, your, um, you know, public cloud, those type of um, costs actually should come down a little bit. Um, but some companies they actually have a usage related um, uh, cost structure. So, so they actually, they, they, they charge the same um, subscription price to their consumer, like customers, 
but their usage as part of the cost structure would come up because consumers like customers use more of their platform. It's a good thing, but then on the cost side, you have to pay more for your data usage to the public cloud uh, providers like uh, Amazon right. and all this, right? So so it really depends on the situation. It's, it's, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all answer. Gotcha. I, no, I'm I'm more just thinking about you know uh, this. See, this is why I'm not on CNBC. Uh, margin shrinkage, you know, versus margin <laughs> compression. You know, the, you you should be on there. Um, <laughs> but you know, I th- I think you know we we've covered quite a bit today. I mean, is there anything that we're missing that you feel that you know our investor audience should know? Um, what, you know, going through these times and and understanding how to maybe look at their portfolios, especially if they're in microcaps. You know, what is any any final you know words of wisdom or advice that folks should really when they're thinking about their portfolios and maybe even looking at potential investments right now? Sure, I think an ideal like this is probably a time where you can find your ideal investment. So when, when I say ideal investment, that means, you know, an investment that you can buy now and just leave it in your coffee can portfolio. You don't need to touch it. You never lose sleep. And many years later, you have, you, 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 you've done pretty good. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty good return um, generated by this, by this type of names. Um, so, so the quality of business is something you really want to um, spend a lot of time on, and 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 um, it, it's uh, it's pretty hard um, to make a prediction that these type of businesses are going to flourish for the next twenty years, right? So, but but you you have to try, right? And and I think on this course, um, and you always remember there's a difference between price and value. You want to pay a price, you know, the, the price you pay should be lower than the value of the company. So the price and the value are two different things. Don't mix them together. Um, and, um, and 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 then you, you have to think about risk. Um, you know, whenever you talk about returns, the, the risk is, is always there. You have to think about, you know, um, risks, like what, what type of risks are associated with this? And um, it, is, is this at an acceptable level? acceptable level for you it's not um you, you're not because you don't want to lose sleep on this right on your investment um for any new investors um you know or any new any people that 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 really loved to do the investing themselves uh or or want to learn more about investing i think um you know the the reading like read and read and read and that's that's one of the top things i would recommend uh, we actually have a, a book recommendation uh, blog on, on our website where you can you can get a lot of um, really good um, book names that that if you really want to explore and you know along the way you will make a lot of mistakes um, and and don't don't be afraid I think investing is a very um, humbling experience um, especially during the market downturns like this right uh, I remember back in 20 March 2020. Um, you know, many things happened and took a turn at the time when you least expected. You 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 just you just don't know, and um, um, so so don't don't just stay open-minded, be adaptable, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just just learn from them. Hopefully, you don't make it twice. But we are all, all humans. We we are probably have a tendency to make the same mistake twice. But at least you you should be cognizant of your own. Um, you know, weakness and, and trying to find your strengths, trying to find an edge 
And that, that's where you can generate a better than market returns is where you have an edge, whether it's analytical or, or whether it's behavioral, right? If you're more patient than other people, you probably could write it out the tough times and, and make a good return. So, um, you know, just don't, don't be afraid. Very good. Well, Sharon, with that, where can our audience go and find more information about you, follow you and your insights, as well as uh, Pender Fund? Um, you can find me at um, um, the uh, under the, the team profile at penderfound.com. And I, I'm, a, I'm typically, you know, uh, really good with emails, but we do get have a lot of emails coming through our inbox. But but if you have any questions, feel free to, to reach out. Um, yeah. Very good. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.